What's cracking, lovely people? It's Big Feed Up HQ podcast. We're back in the mix. Super sunny out here. And we've made a, a cheeky little sauna because uh, all the windows and doors and everything are shut because people keep complaining about how they can't hear the people I'm interviewing. So I've actually got this chap to come <laughs> over to my house and we've hit a uh, some eggs and, you know, all the buzzwords, toast and chilli and had a massive feed up. So I've got Jamie Miller on the podcast today. It's interesting because he's a journalist, so obviously a professional writer. Um the amount of people that, that listen to this, you know, you guys are writing all the time in terms of things on Instagram or using all the social media platforms and things like that. So it's nice to get a professional in and, and start to, kind of, uh, yeah, start to try and like get his perspective on how, you know, every, every, every man, woman, child and their dog can obviously create a blog and do things and, and push it out to whoever they want, wherever they want now. So, um, yeah, he's a contributing editor to men's health. I need to get that out there. That's and, right. um, yeah, like, interesting we, we had a bit of a chat I should have probably been recording the pod <laughs> about an hour ago because we talked about his most recent trip to South Africa and um yeah we, we can just kind of carry on so how are you mate yeah very well thank you yeah a little, little bit warm but um it I'm is very, now. I'm full now and I've got a coffee in front of me a nice filthy coffee so you know I'm in a happy place <laughs> great well I think obviously we should probably start off with as as I, as I drop the you know the men's health um, in there and, and, and obviously you, you, you write for them and, and you've done body transformation for them which is obviously a key buzzword and everyone's interested in that yeah 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 do you think we should kind of take people through through your experience with that yeah to start with or just in general work, working with Men's Health I think people would be interested yeah so I so I worked I was on staff at Men's Health for about um, three and a half years uh, it was my second big job in the industry so previous to that I worked at GQ um, which is my first real job at the industry, and I was there for four and a half years, mainly writing about clothes and watches and grooming products and other, all the big issues, the key issues that are affecting men. And uh, but I was always really interested in health and fitness and, and sport. Always a big men's health reader. It was a running joke when I started working there that I had my own subscription, um, which I still have to this day, um, and I can't quite bring myself to cancel it. You know, even though I could get free copies from them, oh, just something about it. Um, and actually I always used to again it was another joke in the office that I'd always get my copy before we actually got the copies in the office as well so the editor would ask me you know have you had your copy yet you know how does it look um, yeah so I, I worked there for three and a half years and then I've been freelance now for probably about three years um, and you're still doing a lot of stuff for them mm. um, so yeah probably six and a half years altogether I've been reading it for you know, twice that amount so how long has it been going? Oh, a long time, uh, probably 15, 15 or 20 years, I reckon. Really? Yeah, yeah, and that's the UK edition. Um, there are loads of international editions, like mm. 40 or 50. Um, yeah. The two biggest ones are the US and the UK, and they a lot of the content that they make gets syndicated to the other editions. So if I'm in a random European country and I, I pick up a copy of myself off the newsstand, it's not uncommon to find one of my articles translated into a foreign language with my name on, which is quite surreal sometimes. That's cool. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah, because I listened to a podcast by a chap called Ben Greenfield, and mm. he's, he's based out in the US, and he's talked a bit about contributing to men's health. Yeah. And it just makes me think, actually, yeah, you forget how massive it is, because I think most, I don't know, males of a, of a certain age group that are listening to this, they've probably come through late teenage years, mm. and, a, and a, you know, their failsafe was to go straight to that, mm. um, which is still, you know, picking up copies on the go and reading articles, especially knowing you, and getting back into looking at what mm. men's health are doing it is a bit more current for me. But I think, mm. yeah, a, a lot of people listening to this will it will have a snapshot in their, of, of their memory, or you know, even when they do 
see the cover. It's just everyone knows about it. Yeah, it's, they? It's so a, it's it's, a, um, yeah, it's a brand that a lot of people recognise. And even for me, like when I actually started working there, um, or when I started doing work experience there, actually as well, um, I did work experience years and years and years before I actually worked there. Um, when I was trying to get into the industry, and even that, I remember being quite starstruck um, seeing and meeting some of the team because I'd spent so long reading, pouring over the stuff that they used to produce. Um, so it was it was very surreal for me to be sort of rubbing shoulders with them and fetching their coffees and doing their photocopying for them or mm. researching articles for them um, yeah, and I just absolutely loved it mm. really loved it from the word go and yeah that was really what switched me on to the, the industry as a whole because at that time I didn't really know what I wanted to do I was out of uni I went travelling afterwards did the whole beach thing around Thailand very cliche backpacker Kosan Road <laughs> full moon parties came back didn't really know what I wanted to do I had a degree in English literature which is you know, not really useful for, not directly relevant to that many jobs, shall we say. Mm. Um, but I always loved magazines. I always always loved books as well. So my two thoughts were really either magazines or, or book publishing. I did some work experience at Men's Health. It was the very first bit of work experience that I did. Absolutely loved it. It was buzzing. Then um, did some work experience after that at um, Pan Macmillan, the publishing house. And it just wasn't quite the same. And, you know, it was cool, but it was just wasn't, I didn't vibe off it as much mm. and it was really that process of elimination that made me think actually yeah you know magazines is what I want to do um, so I bounced around a few other places did a few bits of work experience here and there um, and then you know as you sort of prove yourself and you get to know people and you show that you're trustworthy and you can put a sentence together they let you write little bits here and there a little box here a little half page there and then you build up a little portfolio and then Eventually, you've got a critical mass of work where you can actually apply for a job. And, and yeah, a job came up at GQ working on their website, and I applied for it and got it, and that was my way in. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah, because I was going to ask you about, have you, you know, have you got any tools or tactics for people that are, are wanting to do that kind mm. of thing, you know, write, write for a, a brand or get involved in a magazine? Or how did you how did you go from making the coffees <laughs> to then someone being being interested in, in, in actually being like, right, well, you know, we need we need you to cover this because we know that you're mustard. <laughs> like I know that's I know that's a very loaded question, but but people people love those little kind of tips and, and tactics. But I think you kind of slightly answered it before when you when you said you know you you, mm. you were there you turned up you you were very um committed which is obviously key to start yeah. with well i think that's that's a really big thing um first thing you gotta do is you got to get in there so work experience is, is the main route for most people um and work experience gets a bad rap because some people think of it as sort of unpaid labor which it is to an extent um but also you know work experience is is as the name suggests it's experience for you and also it's experience for the company of you. You know, it's like it's like an extended job interview, really, or you should treat it like that. So you've got to get in there first, you've got to apply for work experience. Again, a lot of people go wrong with actually just that step. It's a case of you know doing a bit of Googling, finding the person that's responsible for setting up those placements, not just emailing any random editor that you find on the byline. You know, there'll be someone whose job it is to sort that stuff out, and it's normally not that hard to find by just doing a little bit of searching. Mm. But again, that does kind of sort sort of certain amount of wheat from the chaff. Once you got in there, you set up a week or two when you can do it, you know, um, and once you actually get in there, you've it's about making a positive impression. And the thing is, it's a fine line because 
you've got people in there who are doing jobs, they're very busy, they're under pressure, whatever. Um, they don't want you kind of getting up all in their grill and, you know, showing everybody how great you are and, you know, trying to be too, you know, forward. But at the same time, if you just sit in the corner on the computer and you don't say anything to anybody and you, you know, don't say boo to a goose, nobody's going to fall over themselves to offer you a job. So it's about negotiating that kind of balance of actually how do you interact with people in an office environment, in a professional environment. Um, <laughs> and I was not to say that I did it very well necessarily because actually um, when I finally got the job at Men's Health, you know, I actually started working there about five years after I'd done work experience there. Uh, one of the, the deputy, the editor, actually reminded me of a comment that I made to him, um, which obviously everybody else in the office thought was hilarious, but it was like Friday drinks after work and they were having a few beers in the office. And apparently I uh, came out with the immortal line, uh, hoovering up, are we, Sharkross? <laughs> which I absolutely do not remember saying. And I was uh, obviously uh, stuck my neck out quite a lot there for a, for a work experience. But, you know, it must have paid off somehow. Um, but yeah. The thing with it though as well is that you know like the menial tasks that i mentioned like the fetching the coffees doing the photocopying whatever mm. you know people get very um you know I, i've come out of university i've got a degree you know I'm, I'm above this kind of thing but it's a process of building trust so actually you've got to show that you know you can fetch the coffees and get the right ones that you can do the photocopying to a good standard if you do that then you'll earn more trust and you'll get more and more better tasks to do but mm. a lot of people go in there thinking like okay right come on give me the cover feature i'm ready for it you know let's go mm. and you know that's not going to happen they're not going to give you know prime real estate to somebody who's fresh out of uni who hasn't hasn't proved themselves yet you know you've got to kind of demonstrate that you can actually be worthy of the responsibility so mm. it's about sort of tackling those tasks with a degree of um you know professionalism and enthusiasm as well and also as well, it's you know it's a it, it's a chance for you to experience that world and see whether you actually like it because it's not again it's not for everybody. Mm. No, that, yeah, that, I think that's the thing. It's a process, isn't it? Because um, yeah, I started as an intern at uh, Worcester Warriors Rugby Club like years ago. That was my first kind of nutrition mm. role out out of um, university and all those things. And I do remember, you know, it was the it was the things that you you didn't really want to do, but you knew it was a process. Mm. And I learned the most from it was the hydration testing so that it meant I had to do you know 30 to 40 um, urine samples basically piss testing every morning I had to fill 80 shakers and wash them every day um, and that at, you know early 20s where I could kind of in my head mechanistically solve all of these you know kind of like intricate uh, nutritional like nuggets and I was really itching to tell players about x and they were just like oh shut up and give me the shake mm. and you kind of yeah I remember that and it's but it's a rite of passage and, and I wouldn't have changed those um you know two seasons mm. and I learned an absolute ton and then you know you mm. keep contacts mm. so the head coach of that um rugby club is who you know we, we stayed in touch and then four or five years later he's now working over in France mm. and you know I, I get the opportunity to go and you know work work as, as the lead nutritionist there whereas before I was the you know one of better term I was the bitch boy I was the lad mm. that he saw me I was carrying the shakes and now <laughs> a few years later I'm you know I proposed him a, a periodized nutrition plan and my rate and he's like okay and then I reread the email and I'm like oh it looks like I'm going out there then yeah, and yeah. Uh, you have to organize it so it is it is a processing but I think back then yeah like you said you do have to dig in and do the little things but then my mindset wasn't quite there but but yeah you switch over so it sounds like you, you're prepared to do you know the kind of small tasks but then make sure they are of decent quality and then when you get the opportunity 
mm. kind of jump in. Yeah, so. absolutely. Yeah, so I remember um, a guy uh, called Ray Clerk who now edits Train Magazine, but he was the fitness editor at the time, and he asked me to uh, research a little bit on... Um, they were doing a thing about football, fitness football training, um, and um, I had an expert and he wanted to get some quotes from him, so I got some quotes from this guy and I had this, these quotes and I wrote them up in such a way and kind of edited them and I looked at the format of the page of where he was trying to put these things and, and made sure that they, I presented them in such a way that they fitted the format of the page mm. um, and gave them to him and he was like, oh yeah, this is great actually, you know what, I can just put these in as they are and I'll, I'll put your byline on it and that was my first byline in the magazine and that was such a great feeling to me of like, yeah, yeah okay. Like and, um, but again, I, I think a mistake that a lot of people make when they want to write publications is, is you know, publications, whichever publication it is, whether it's a newspaper, magazine, whatever, they all have very specific styles, they all have very specific formats, often very regimented in how they put things together. So many people just come in and they want to write how they want to write and they haven't got a clue of where it's going to actually fit in the publication, whereas actually, if you take a bit of time to study the publication and say, okay, well, mm. I've got this idea for a story, maybe it could fit on this page, maybe it could be presented in this way. And, and also, can you actually write it in the style of the publication? Because again, publications have their own tone, they have their own audiences. Mm. So it's, it's about sort of adapting yourself to the publication in question, um, mm. which is another really big thing that I think a lot of people fall down on is they just want to write how they want to write and express themselves. And yes, writing is a degree of self-expression, but also actually it's about, you know, I write for a number of different publications now, and there is a certain sort of level of, um, you know, you have to be a bit of a chameleon and able to sort of change your, your tone to adapt to the, the publication and the audience. And that's sort of very important. Unless you become a columnist like, you know, Giles Corrin or someone, in which case you're, you're literally selling the fact that you've got a certain style and a certain mm. point of view, but that's not something that you tend to do fresh out of university. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing, you know, because obviously with, with social media and, and, and being able to carve yourself a personality mm. almost instantaneously now, you know, before, or still, like you said, if you're writing for, mm. for someone else or for something else, like you said, mm. you do have to then fit that approach because the audience is used to reading that style. Mm. And that was interesting because when I gave you some information and then you wrote that um, that piece on the Mr. Porter mm. page, that was the kind of, I'd skimmed over a bit before um, you asked me to contribute and then obviously what you wrote, I then read everything in detail and it was just interesting and different, but then obviously as I then went back onto that site afterwards, I got used to the style and how mm. other things were kind of laid out. I was like, all oh, right, it's just, mm. you know, even though I would have said this, it's, it's actually said in this way because everyone else is probably used to it being mm. said that way. So it kind of, yeah, it worked, mm. which is, yeah, which is, which is interesting. Whereas now, you know, when we follow individuals mm. or when people have points of view, they don't necessarily have to, I don't know how to describe it. You know, they can just turn something on now and speak, or if they mm. are writing and, and people enjoy their style, then they can do whatever they want. Mm. But then, yeah, if, we, if we're going onto sites and things and you expect a certain format, or you get used to a certain format, it's really, it's like comforting, isn't it? You're like, oh, I'm going to open this up and I know it's going to be really, really like easy to digest or I know I'm going to get to see the next kind of big thing and it's going to be laid out in a really, really mm. decent way. So. Yeah, I mean, yeah. there's nothing wrong with with writing things how you want to write them if it's on your own platform, whether it's social yeah. media or a blog or whatever. But if you want to write for a publication, then you you have to be conscious of that publication's tone and style. Um, and you know, and so the article that we worked on in Mr. Porter that had a slightly different tone and style to the article that we worked on for Fashion Beans, um, mm. just because the audiences are, are slightly different. And 
you know, it's it's about having that sort of sense of sensibility and also not being too sort of um, uh, egocentric, I guess, in the sense of making it all about you. A lot of people when they write, and this is true of, of anybody, they they, they want to show off how clever they are and how funny they are. And I, you know, I guilty of that sometimes but fundamentally it's about the reader mm. at the end of the day and it's about getting the information across to the reader so you know you want to have some jokes in there you want to have some clever bits in there mm. you know I want people to come away from my articles thinking oh yeah this is a smart guy but fundamentally I'm really just a conduit for getting the information across to the reader so that's the, that's the first priority mm. you know is the information and the action clear and then secondary to that was it you know fun and enjoyable to read did I have a few lols I'm bored out of my mind. <laughs> yeah, definitely, definitely. All right, well, we'll change tack a little bit. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm interested, and I'm sure the audience and things are as well. If, if you know, you, because you do this um, for, for a job, and obviously you have to research and, and, and write constantly, what do you read on a weekly basis every week that's a complete staple that, that, you, that, you, that you love? That Let's keep it kind of, yeah, that is health, fitness, mm. um, nutrition, training sleep whatever related mm. or have you got any people that you go to every week or you know at least monthly because everyone's so busy yeah but we all know that we all check things and read things or look at things all the time mm. that we you know so so what are those things for you because people might be interested very good question um i was really obsessed for a long time with tim ferris um and absorbed sort of everything that he put out you know be it podcasts be it books whatever and i i do still think for sort of density of information um he's still a pretty great resource having said that i almost made myself a little bit sick of him because <laughs> mm. i listened to him so so religiously so i've gone off from a little bit now um i actually just put together a podcast feature for men's health um which was a really good it hasn't come out yet but it was a really good uh process because it introduced me to a lot of new podcasts and one that i've literally just started listening to was um finding mastery by dr michael gervais who is a, a sort of um psychologist performance psychologist i guess you call him um and he was involved with the uh, red bull stratos project with felix baumgartner you know jumping from space yeah. so you know literally when felix was having second thoughts about doing this uh which you know is understandable um he was the guy that he talked to who kind of you know made him calm down come down off the ledge uh, metaphorically if not literally um so yeah that's really good um in terms of content, I mean, I you know I read obviously read Men's Health as well, US and UK editions if I can get hold of them. Um, I really like actually Outside Magazine, um, which is an American magazine, and as the name suggests, it's predominantly outside stuff, mm. uh, lots of hiking and, and running and stuff. But actually, which is not really my bag in terms of what I like to do myself, but um, actually their sports science stuff is pretty on point. Mm. Um, they have a guy called uh, I want to say Brad. Dahlberg, who does a lot of stuff for them, um, who wrote a book recently about peak performance, which is also really good. Mm. Um, you know what? I, I love books, actually, and that's something I would really um, kind of uh, go to go into bat for, because I think that they're sort of slightly overlooked now in this age of podcasts and online articles, but actually, books are amazing, and the, the sort of the the amount of knowledge in there is, is, is amazing, and mm. uh, actually, as part of my work, quite often I have to read books um, and sort of do kind of um, digested reads type articles, you know, take four or five things out of there and do a little a little mini book review slash, you know, do this kind of article. And um, 
that for me is a dream because it's like I'm reading a book, I'm absorbing all of that amazing knowledge, mm. and then I'm getting paid for it. It's like I would do this anyway. You got to push it out, yeah, to yeah. people. Yeah, that's quality. Yeah, because we're supposed to be all, in essence, we do that and synthesize mm. things. We want to learn something, but then mm. yeah, like you said, you're getting paid to do it as well, which yeah. is really cool. And just there's just something about a book. You know, somebody's taken the time to put that together. They've researched the hell out of it. They've mm. just crammed so much great information in there, and you know also that it's been through editors. It's been fact checked. It's it's legit it's not fake news I just read a really great book by a guy called Jeff Berkovici uh, if I'm pronouncing that correctly who's a US writer called Play On and it was all about ageing athletes and this sort of phenomenon now of your, your sort of Roger Federer's or your Tom Brady's who are you know maintaining a really high level of performance into uh, into the later years where previously they would have had to retire and it was again just so many great areas of of um, super fascinating areas of sports science and, mm. and I really came away from it thinking wow I've got like ideas for 10 different articles from this oh, what um, was one of the takeaways for an ageing individual then if they listen to this oh, what, you know what actually one of the biggest ones that kind of struck me which sounds really basic but I thought was actually really powerful was just really loving what you do um, so mm. talk about Roger Federer and, and just how actually he just really loves tennis like mm. he really loves it uh, and that sounds maybe not that surprising, but actually for professional athletes, a lot of them do lose the love for the sport because it is a job and because they have to, and there's so much pressure attached to it. Mm. But he just really loves it. And that's actually a huge thing that keeps him at a high level. Um, he hasn't lost the joy in it. And I think sometimes when you bring expectations to something, and I, I found this actually myself, just on, you know, you know I, obviously I am not Roger Federer <laughs> or anywhere near, and I don't play tennis. Mm. But I play football, play five-side football. And um, play twice a week, and it's a really big part of my life. Uh, but actually, for a, a while, I wasn't really enjoying it because the winning and losing would be really too important to me, mm. and I would get really down if I didn't win or if I didn't play well. And actually, I read a really, really great book called *The Mindful Athlete* by a guy called George Mumford, who is he was the um, mindfulness coach for the Chicago Bulls, and Michael Jordan left to go and do baseball for a year, um, or however long it was. Uh, and then he was still there when they came back and he's done a couple of other NBA teams but that was a really great book um, and in there he talks about actually um, who you are on the, the pitch is who you really are so if you play in an angry way that's kind of actually showing that you've got some anger elsewhere in your life that you're not dealing with mm. um, and it was really I took away from that just actually that I needed to just chill out a bit and just like enjoy enjoy the playing of the football for itself you know and actually the winning and losing comes after but actually just to really appreciate that I was able to play and enjoy playing and mm. not put so many kind of expectations on it in terms of my own performance level and actually you know then ironically you, you tend to end up performing better because you're not putting pressure on yourself mm. uh, and, I, and I think that's a really a really big thing actually it's just you know finding that joy and, and you know yes you want to perform yes you want to reach a certain level but actually mm -hmm. Don't let that kind of cloud. Why are you doing it? In the yeah, first place? Just, and the pleasure of doing it, you know. Hundred percent. Yeah, because you know, especially with regular people not being professional athletes, you know, it's that escapism, isn't it, from mm. what you're doing, day job or or you know, looking after, um, you know, whatever children, you know, being with family and friends, you can kind of switch off and play football and do that. So mm. it's it's fab. Mm. Yeah, I think that's really important. But then you know, there's some people that are just wired for winning is everything but then they're probably people that are you know if they are ultra competitive they may you know they may be professional athletes mm. when winning is everything mm. or like you said unfortunately it, it then becomes negative mm. because they can't 
you know, they can't just accept the process and, and, and do it and enjoy it. So, um, well, I yeah. think it makes you very brittle um, because yeah. ultimately you will lose at some point. And then again, it's how you react to that. Uh, and if your whole sort of identity is bound up in winning, if that's who you are, mm. then there's, it's not going to be, it's not going to go well for you. No. You do eventually lose. Um, and again, I think when you're talking about consistency and longevity, it's these athletes who are able to react to that and, and bounce back from it and not be too down. Mm. You know, this great sort of second wind that Roger Federer has kind of had in his career, you know, when people said he's been written off, you know, that's it, it's game over. Mm. Um, I think, you know, it's because he's able to sort of almost, you get the sense almost now that he doesn't actually care that much whether he wins or loses. He's just happy to still be playing. Mm. And actually, he probably still win a lot because of that. Yeah. You know? And that's that, yeah, that's that, how you kind of continue and, and, and promote longevity is because... Mm. Yeah, potentially that he's taking the pressure off himself, mm. and now everyone's actually like, "How's mm. he doing this?" Mm. And then if he wins, great, amazing. And then if he doesn't win, people are like, "Oh, he's late thirties anyway. He's not yeah. expected to." Yeah, so that all, is it's all a bonus. Yeah, and it's fab, and it is interesting because obviously, in in terms of professional sport, you know, the careers are short unless mm. obviously you're in, you know, a, a, elite football and, and you're earning, you know, untold amounts of money so that you may be able to retire and then that's it. And, and you're fine, but then a lot of sports, you know, people aren't making the amount of money that they need to make to then completely do nothing afterwards. So actually, if they can prolong their careers to a certain extent and continue to earn, provide for their family, things like that, there'll be a lot more in that for a lot of younger athletes thinking now in certain sports, like, well, maybe getting to early 30s, I might be able to get another four or five years and more of a paycheck if I do look after myself. I think that's important. It's really inspiring. I know it might be different for rugby because different positions you might be able to get away with and there's some people that are playing into their late 30s and that might be position based but mm. um, and then I know golf obviously you can have extremely long careers because again mm. it's you know you're not smashing into each other you might get some imbalances and things from rotation and stuff like that over time but I think it's important for mm. for people to see some of these individuals performing at the top level for longer mm. and then understanding the why it's like actually because we enjoy it and you can't really how do you study that mm. But then that's the huge part of it as well, isn't mm. it? It's the enjoyment side of things. I think it's really, really key. Um, and the interesting thing now as well is that, uh, as he says in the book, is, is you know, experience and um, capacity are normally in inverse proportions. So your your ex- as your experience goes up and you're able to make better decisions on the on the pitch or the course or wherever, mm. your sort of physical capacity goes down. But actually, if you can maintain that physical capacity and then you're also able to make much better decisions because you're more experienced, you can actually you know, really perform at a, a you know an unprecedentedly high level mm. because normally those two things do not don't go hand in hand. Yeah, that's interesting. All right, and then change. I'll change that again, and then kind of throw a question back onto you because you now are experienced. You have a lot of contacts. Mm. You know, you, you you clearly are someone that um you know people come to for 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 you to do writing for them and things like mm. that. How how do you now vet everything that comes? through your inbox or when people are like oh you should really write this for me and mm. you know how, like, how do you is it is it is it you know you look at the money first or you look at the, the, the passion project first or you like you mm. said you get new interests and you think oh actually trail running and, and long distance wasn't mm. really my thing but then this has come across and, mm. and it might be an interesting piece mm. how, how do you kind of being you know self-employed and that's quite so fluid what you do how do you choose right I'm going to invest myself in this for two weeks or can I have four or five jobs going on at the same time and it's mm. uh, yeah I, to be honest um, I just really look first at is it something I'm interested in am I going to enjoy it um, because I've 
on the odd occasions where I've taken things on that I didn't think would be that enjoyable, normally because of money, normally because the money is, you know, tempting, mm. um, it's actually proved to be a false economy because the sort of psychic load that comes with doing it, um, you know, I'll procrastinate over it. Uh, I, I won't feel like I'm doing that great a job at it. Whereas actually, if it's something that I really like, then, you know, that shows in the work. Um, mm. You know, and then the, obviously you look at the money, but, you know, there's a kind of a, a sort of a rough base rate that, that most publications are on or there or thereabouts anyway. Mm. Um, I'm not a sort of big name columnist who can dictate my own kind of fees. Um, so that's normally a secondary consideration. And then and it's a time sort of ratio though as well. Uh, you know, how long is it going to take me? Mm. How many days of research or, you know, is there an interview or a trip? Um, and again, sort of, you know, roughly working that out versus, you know, the, the amount of money. But again, if it's something really fun, then I can potentially take a hit on that. Um, and yeah, I, I really do just think actually, you know, the kind of job I do anyway, um, it's not a career that I would counsel anybody to go into if you want to make loads of money. Mm. It is definitely a career to go into if you want to have a fun, interesting job. Um, if you want to be able to have fun, interesting conversations with people at parties when they ask you what you do for a living. Um, mm. You know, I get to meet celebrities, famous people, athletes, actors, you know, experts, uh, people who are really at the top of the game. Um, actually, I interviewed an author called Jeff Dyer recently, um, who I don't know if you know any of his stuff. He does sort of travel, uh, kind of fiction meets non-fiction, um, kind of genre-breaking uh, stuff, but he's regarded as one of the best writers in English um, at the moment and I was very nervous meeting him being a writer because I didn't want him to think that I was stupid um, <laughs> but one of the things that he but thankfully he was very nice and if he thought I was stupid he didn't show it but one of the things that he says is that his whole writing career is basically just a vehicle for him to go on this sort of journey of discovery and just get you know find things that he, he wants to find out about mm. and, and sort of delve into them and I sort of feel the same really about my job you know I basically go around going to interesting places, going and finding people who are doing interesting things, asking them about what they do, how they do it, why they do it, picking their brains really, and then, yeah, kind of passing that information on to other people. But, mm. you know, mainly really I'm actually just doing it for myself. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. And that's the same with this, you know, with the podcast, as much as, as much as, you know, I want people to, to listen to interesting people like mm. yourself as well, I feel like I can learn a lot from this process and it's yeah you always think yeah you always oh, okay i know i want people to have to have great information but then actually you know every time i speak to someone in this format i do come away with more knowledge bombs that yeah. i can wrap up and hopefully use you know when i'm speaking to people mm-hmm. so it's uh, yeah it's it's really good um no that's that's oh man that's i think that's a nice thing for people to hear as well that journey and discovery because it takes mm-hmm. takes the pressure off mm-hmm. it definitely takes the pressure off mm-hmm. and you know you're both just enthusiastic about mm. what you do and passionate about what you do so when you meet mm. each other you don't you know if he turns around and looks at you and thinks oh actually this guy's inadequate you know then you know that's not the kind of person mm. you want to spend time with and if he was a role model mm. he wouldn't have been any more after you kind of mm. meet him and if he was like that so it's nice mm. that he ends up being exactly what you hoped as well yeah because often you think you know you have these mentors or these people that you look up to and then mm. when you find out more about them and if it is negative you're a bit like oh Mm-hmm. I really expected this person to be like they mm-hmm. were on the videos that I watch, but they're yeah. really not. Now, most so people, it's most strange people, that, isn't it? Most people are, and also I'm really prone to kind of, um, you know, 
intellectual sort of man crushes. So when I meet, when I meet interesting, <laughs> definitely write that one. Down. <laughs> so um, when I meet or interview interesting people, it always kind of sends me on a, a sort of um, a quest to get more interested in whatever it is that they're doing. So I interviewed an actor the other day called Joe Cole, who is in Peaky Blinders and a couple of other things, um, but he's just done this film called A Prayer Before Dawn, um, which is based on a true story of this um, Scouse guy who got sent to a Thai prison, um, which obviously Thai prisons are uh, not renowned for their hospitality. And, uh, you know, he was into drugs and all kinds of things in a pretty bad way. But then he got into Muay Thai kickboxing and found some sort of redemption through that. Mm. Um, so I watched the film and it's absolutely amazing. I thoroughly recommend it. It's coming out quite soon. Really beautiful. It, it's absolutely not some kind of like Jean-Claude Van Damme kind of thing. It's, it's very realistic, very brutal, mm. quite grim. And it's the kind of film you watch and you go... <sighs> quite a lot because you can hear shin bones getting yeah. we've seen the chap in Peaky Blinders that, that played the, the young boxer he's the bro- I don't watch Peaky Blinders but I, th- I believe he's the brother of the main character the younger brother um, ah that one okay because there is someone in there who, who's, who's a rising star that played a young boxer and I, and I watched something with him in it recently but then maybe I'm just it might be of someone else I don't know um, anyway I should know. I should. I, I should go and watch Peaky Blinders. But um. Oh, but no, yeah. So anyway, you met him, and it's the the new thing. So that's oh, that's good because I was going to ask about who, you know, who have you met recently that that is interesting and things like that. And it's nice that it's kind of coming out in a conversation way rather than than mm. you having to reel out like yeah I've met so and so and done this and that. So um, and a lot mm. of these names, you know, I haven't heard of and mm. and are interesting people. They turn out to be interesting people as well. Mm. So. That's really good. And I'll put everything everything that you've said, hopefully I'll gather and stick in the show notes as well. So okay. obviously the two articles that, that you've written that I, that I you know, contributed a little bit to and then, um, yeah, some of the interesting books and I'm definitely going to look up The Mindful Athlete. That sounds really good. That's one of my favourites. I actually lent it to my little brother as well because um, I, I, he struggles with some of the same things that I did. Mm. Um, I don't know if he actually read it or not, but uh, he gave it back to me anyway. Um, but it's... It, there are so many interesting people out there. I've got a feature in um, this issue of Men's Health that's just come out um, called Mavericks of Nutrition, and it was like a bunch of profiles of different people doing interesting things. And you know, some of the guys in there, there's a guy who um, he made it his mission to stop billy goats from being euthanized. Um, so when male goats are born in the dairy industry, they tend to just get killed almost immediately because they can't produce milk, so they're not worth keeping alive. So and because we don't eat goats in the UK. Uh, just as a cultural thing you know plenty mm. of other cultures eat goats but we in the uk we don't so as a rule so he's made it his mission to um, kind of promote to basically pr goat meat um and create a demand for it in sort of high-end restaurants and shops and things mm. so basically there's a an economic sort of uh, argument ah. for farmers keeping these goats alive for at least a couple of years so before they get killed it. Um, so yeah so you know all of that was just like super interesting to me never heard of it before never yeah. Interviewed another interviewed another guy. Like Cabrito is the name of the company actually that he um, that he started, and he wrote a book called Goats, I think, which is all about like it's like a high end cookbook for goat, basically to show you all the different ways that you can eat it. Super nutritious meat as well. Yeah, I think it's lower in fat than or it compares very favorably anyway on sort of calories yeah. and and um, fat and stuff, and it's very high in iron, I believe. I was at a place called the Coal Shed in London Bridge, and they did a you know we were there on a Sunday. And it's like, all right, we're going to go in beef or Brian and I love roast chicken. And then the, the waiter came out and he was like, um, <clears throat> we do this goat shoulder. Hmm. And, uh, you know, 
pomegranate on top mm. and like all the kind of different flavors and things and mm. i was like we're definitely getting that and it was yeah you know it was huge mm. um but you know i, I ate as much as i could mm-hmm. and did a good job on that and it was so tasty and i would choose that now probably over if i was going out and having something similar to that over a roast chicken or a roast beef mm. every time and that's not just saying that like that place was fab and the mm. goat meat was really tasty huh. so i definitely recommend people you know, try it out, and yeah. then obviously, eventually, if you are cooking it, things at home, that's probably a massive step for a lot of people. But yeah, yeah, well, the goat shoulder was, yeah, check that place out. It was fab. Nice. Yeah, um, really good. I mean, the distinction of sort of why we don't eat it and yet yet why we eat sheep is, is so sort of arbitrary. And actually, the guy was explaining to me that it, it goes back to sort of, um, I forget exactly when, but basically. It, there was more um it made more financial sense to keep sheep because you could mm. sheep were sort of uh triple threat because you had milk you had meat but you also had wool which you could then sell so actually it became a financial thing that um that it made more sense to keep sheep and also um it became a rich person's thing so actually goat then became the poor a poor person's meat mm. and so then the rich people obviously write all the cookbooks and they write the histories and whatever so goat just kind of gets Slips through the cracks. Just gets lost really to the culture, um, and you know it's nothing. It's not the goat's fault. It's not. It's not like there's anything wrong with the the meat that it produces. Yeah. It's just purely a cultural quirk, basically. And I, it, it, well, this stuff just really blew my mind. And it's not. And, and also, it's a really different aspect of nutrition to sort yeah. of um, you know your your kind of macros and you know the, the normal sort of uh, stuff that you're exposed to. Which you think, you know, you, you open a men's health and it's like, right, what's the next, mm. yeah, what's the next thing that I can put into, you know, my, my protein or, um, you know, kind of quota for the day or that kind of thing. But mm. that whole sense of mavericks and nutrition in a certain section, mate, I'm definitely going to get that. Because I know there's a guy that I follow, um, I think he's based over East Anglia, actually, right near where I'm from in Norwich. And it's, yeah. is it Haste? Haste oh, Haste Kitchen. Haste Kitchen. Yeah. Ian Haste, so yeah. I follow him, uh, his YouTube channel is, yeah. is one of my go-tos. So, you know, if you ask me the question yeah. of what do you... Who do you watch or read or listen mm. to every month? I'm on I'm on his videos every time oh, really? he releases something. Interesting. And he's one of those sound guys as well. Whereas you know you, you sometimes oh, I'm just a, when I'm a big fan of someone mm. I'll let them know. Mm. So I direct message him on Instagram saying you know look I, I grew up near Norwich okay. I, I do these silly food videos and you're like a massive inspiration and he messages back being like sound you know thanks nice. very much and you know they take he actually took the time to just yeah, yeah. to, to you know chat and stuff and then uh, I saw in his. Yeah, on his Instagram, he was flicking through the men's health and saying, oh, I've just written this thing in Mavericks and Nutrition. Oh, cool. And that's something that was then at the back of my mind, but then you just reminded yeah, me. Yeah. So I'm definitely going to go and get oh, that cool, nice. and read it because he's, yeah, he, he's slick. Like, uh, yeah. And he's in shape as well. Yeah, he's That guy good. looks after himself. I think he has a home gym and he just yeah, like, he does, thrashes yeah. his wife and, and they train. Well, again, that was, that was yeah. a super interesting story because I didn't know anything about him. The Did you cover him then? Yeah, so the oh, editor, man, quality. Yeah, the editor suggested to me. Put me in touch. Yeah, well, <laughs> yeah. Really, yeah, I can introduce you. That's not a problem. Um, Sweet. But yeah, so I, you know, I watched his videos, read on his website, um, you know, got on the phone with him, got chatting, and actually, it turned out that his whole sort of interest in so he'd been a cook in um, in sort of gastro pubs and things growing up and in his early kind of twenties, and then he actually fell out of favour with food and and. Um, started working in software or something really dry mm. um but actually um one of the things that sort of really prompted his interest in nutrition was his wife had got a really serious illness um and uh and i knew nothing about this because it wasn't sort of something that was widely publicized on any of his 
you know, blog or anything on his YouTube channel. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, then the whole story just kind of went in a very different direction to, to where I was expecting it. And he basically then um, found this clinic in London where they, they had a very sort of holistic approach and, and you know, they made a lot of changes to her diet and he really feels that actually, you know, a lot of the nutritional changes that they made had a really positive impact on her health. Um, so yeah, it was like, you know, it was a whole um, different... Uh, angle to to what I expected going in and you know what I'd seen of him sort of publicly Mm. and again that's one of the things I really love about what I do is when you get into like the motivations of why people do what they do Mm. um, you can often be really surprised interesting I'd love to get him on here I I, I didn't know how I'd ever be able to do something like that but um, yeah maybe I can sneakily hook you up yeah yeah, I love his videos and things I think he's met one of his most recent is like a oat peanut butter banana cookie thing and I'm like yeah I was straight on that yeah. yeah, absolutely solid. I was um, super impressed. He had a really nice line as well in the piece, which was like, um, you know, we're talking about sort of the idea of quote unquote healthy food, and he's like, um, there's there's no such thing as like healthy or unhealthy food. There's only food and not food, and I thought that was a really mm-hmm. nice attitude. Um, I always when I'm interviewing people and they're talking to me like that. I've always got my kind of spider senses up, so when like a great, you know, when there's a really great line, I'm just like something like ticks and you know there's little bell sounds in the back of my head like ding i'm like yep that's the that's the quote yeah. the pull, you know the pull quote as we say in the trade which is like you know when you have a page and there's like one big quote that's sort of like bolded up that's, yeah. the, that's the pull quote yeah, yeah, i'm yeah, always yeah, like oh yeah, yeah that's the pull quote or that's the uh that's the sort of the last line of the article interesting because i try and sneak when, I, when i'm doing consultations with clients i i try to find some of them that, that, are, that um are called the sweet spot yeah. And I got that from a friend's dad, Brian Colbert, an absolute legend. I know he won't listen to this, but <laughs> anyway, um, his, his son there to my mate Mike, so that's quite good. Um, but he's a dentist, and he's been a dentist like for, you know, whatever, 30 years or something like that. Mm. And we were talking a couple of years ago because I was kind of struggling a bit, self-employed and up and down and taking in and out clients. And he was like, you need to find the sweet spot with the person. And I was like, what do you mean? He said he specialises in basically taking taking clients on that have been at other dentists and haven't mm. quite got what they needed. And he says, you know, my procedures and what I do, they might not necessarily be different to some of my colleagues, but I, I, I get to understand what the client wants. Obviously, structurally, I might make some changes, but it's the conversations and it's mm. that click. And he called it the sweet spot moment when you mm. figure out what it is and you can deliver that. If it's obviously what he's needed to do to their teeth, but then also in the session when mm. you're speaking to them. So you like find that sweet spot in the person and then obviously everything else will click into place, all the processes that you do and everything that you speak to them about. So I've been trying to hone that. So similar to you trying to find a quote, when I'm in a consultation, I have to dig around a little bit and then when I see the eyes kind of go or something, I say something that really resonates with that person. I'm then like, right, okay, that's it. Um, and sometimes the, the line that I do use, because obviously I, I do have some of the ones in my head that I think, okay, if I say this at a certain time, it might help. It is, you know, look... I know you might have done this, however, you're only one meal away from making things better. Mm. And that's such a simple line, but I use that a lot with people because they're like, mm. oh, I just binged or I didn't do this. Or, you know, mm. if I do this, does that mean it's a terrible day? And I'm mm. like, no, if, you, if you've done that mm. and then the next meal you do, you know, in line with what I've spoken to you about, Mm. you're only ever one meal snack or beverage away from making things better mm. so that's something that I've got you know I've got really quite like yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah it's interesting kind of on a different tack of maybe adding on to what you were saying there you kind of find a quote but yeah, yeah when it comes to nutrition it is it's complex for a lot of people isn't it and they want to mm. you know they, they feel like they've done something wrong but then you're actually like well not really You've got, you can get up the next day and mm. change it 
I, I interviewed a guy called, um, and did some work with a guy called Justin Jacobs, who is um, the head of the uh, TRX training in the UK at Equinox. And um, he had a really nice line, which I, I loved, um, which was, um, something is always something, and something's always better than nothing. Mm. Um, so, you know, say you've got a busy day and you can't fit in your normal workout, your one-hour workout. It's like, okay, well, can you fit in a half-hour workout? Mm. If you can't fit in a half-hour workout... Can you walk to work and back? Mm. You know, doing something positive, however small, is better than doing nothing because one step down from doing nothing is, oh, well, I may as well just have a beer or have a burger or, mm. you know, I'll sit on the couch. And it's sort of this negative spiral, whereas actually, if you can keep this positive spiral, um, and that's something I'm very guilty of, you know, I, I often, you know, if I've had a sort of a, a suboptimal food day, shall we say, that can often, you know, pile up quite quickly. Mm. Whereas actually, you know, if you get back on the bandwagon with the next meal, with the next drink, whatever, mm. then I think that's a, a really good way of thinking about it. Mm. Definitely. No, yeah, that's that's a good quote as well. I'm gonna have mm. so many things in the show notes. <laughs> there will actually be a useful resource. When I listen to yeah. podcasts, it's like go to the show notes, and then I actually do, and then get all their nuggets. Maybe people will actually go to this one and use it. So that's, that's really cool. Good. Hey, I think we could. You know, we could do a lot, and um, I am a little bit conscious of time, and, it, and we are like really, really sweaty as well. <laughs> so I think, um, yeah, I think maybe we finish with, and I'd love to get you back on because you know you explore, you've got not explore, you, you you've obviously met and spoken to so many interesting people. Mm-hmm. Um, but then, yeah, I think maybe we we touch on because we had a good conversation about it before a, a press record. This this kind of um, concept of of how you know you found your transformation with men's health. Um, mm. not easier than you thought but you, you liked following the rules and the mm. setup, and then mm. we kind of went down the, the, the rabbit hole of it, is that because in general men may like to follow templates or rules mm. or things like that more mm. uh, or better than that's not really good English but you know what I mean I'm kind of yeah. falling over my words a bit but I'll let you kind of carry on that trend of conversation but it was yeah I quite liked how we were kind of going down that road of you wanted to achieve something. The transformation was 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 a goal. Obviously, mental health and everything mm. that meant a lot to you. But then mm. that concept of actually, I'm not going to have a beer because I know I shouldn't because I'm mm. within something and there's mm. rules and regs around me. There's no one mm. actually standing over me, telling mm. you know, pulling the beer off me. But had had did you make that switch in your mind to actually mm. be like, right, I'm actually not going to do it, even though no one would know mm. if I cracked a few Coronas, mm. you know, in the house on my own. Yeah, it so. was it was very profound. Um, yeah, you know, people ask me about that all the time. It's one of the things that the magazine is really known for. You know, when I got the job at the magazine, it was very much in the forefront of my mind that, you know, I knew that they did this with the staff periodically, that they'd actually put one guy, Dan Rookwood, on the cover. That was very much a goal of mine. Like, while I'm working here, I want to do one of these things. I want to smash the hell out of it. Mm. I want to get, you know, in the best shape I've ever gotten in. You know, it's a great opportunity to have mm. to be in that situation, you know, to get to work with a, a top-notch personal trainer, um, we actually didn't, when I did the challenge, we didn't get any help with the sort of food or anything. Like mm. since we did ours, some of the guys who've done it subsequently have teamed up with sort of meal delivery companies. Yeah, it's so convenient now, isn't it? Yeah. I think it's cheating. And I've yeah. told them as much, as far as I'm concerned, that it's cheating. Yeah. You know, you've got to sort it, sort yourself out. I'd love um, to get you back on, actually, and we should do a, a meal delivery or a kind of prep service mm-hmm. uh episode because mm. so many people ask mm. me that on a weekly yeah. basis like what do you think of these companies mm. if i wanted to make it from mm. scratch if i was going to order it mm. so i think that could be an interesting mm. resource 
you know, a podcast or an article on like, right, here are the best ones or here are what I do say. I mean, I don't think there's anything wrong with people using them generally in life, but, no. but when you're a guy who works for men's health and you're doing a challenge, I think it's a little bit cheating to do yeah. that. Because for me, that was probably the, the most difficult bit logistically was, was just cooking and prepping all the food. Uh, and it was expensive as well. Um, but anyway, I digress. Um, but yeah, people always, you know, when I, when I talk to people, um, they always ask me, you know, they, when they find out I worked in mental health, they always want to know about the transformation. They always want to know how hard it was, how I did it, what it entailed. Um, you know, and it's really simple, really. There's nothing sort of rocket science about it. You know, it was a, I was lifting weights four or five times a week. Um, I was eating very well and very cleanly and nutritiously. Mm. Um, I didn't drink apart from one night a week I was allowed. So I was in a slightly fortunate position. I was doing it with two other colleagues at the time and they were both uh, slightly overweight or very overweight actually. <laughs> Sorry guys, it's true. You would admit yeah. it if you were there. Yeah, um, there's no filters on this, it's fine. I was, you know, not in great shape, but I was in all right shape and I was on the skinny side if anything. So, yeah, yeah, so I was in a different position to those guys. I was trying to put on really weight. Of course. Um, because of that, my trainer said to me that I could have a cheat meal every Friday night. Yeah. Which would tended to be pizza and um, ice cream and a glass of red wine. Yeah, yeah. Driving that, more carbohydrates after one of your main sessions. And, yeah. yeah interesting. And that really helped. And also from a psychological point of view, it just really helped. It was a bit of a release. And then actually, come Saturday morning, I was ready to get back on the wagon again and actually not, you know, upset about it. Mm. But yeah, for me, like, people say, was it difficult to stick to? And I was like, no, it was easy because... Yeah, mentally, it was like a switch was flicked. It was like, okay, I've got this goal. I'm in this situation. I have these rules, you know, and it was totally different to that idea of like, okay, it's the evening, I come home from work, I kind of fancy a beer, but maybe I shouldn't have one. Mm. That's very, it's very difficult in that situation to say, no, I'm not going to have one because there really isn't any real reason why you shouldn't. Mm. Whereas actually, because I was doing this transformation and it was about getting the best result I could in a short amount of time and I was doing all this other hard work, there was just no way that I was going to undermine that. You know, mm. I wanted to do everything that I could to, um, to get the best result that I could. And actually, if anything, I have regrets still about the, the challenge because there were a few things during it that I couldn't, um, that weren't optimal. Um, mm. Whereas actually, you know, if I did it again... I'll do I'll do that differently. Mm. Um, but that comes with experience. Comes with experience. There's a couple of things like I had a couple of overseas trips um, because the originally we were supposed to do it at a certain time of the year and it got pushed back a bit, so it clashed with a, a family trip to New York, which um, was again was not ideal. Yeah. And actually, um, I ended up spent I spent most of the time in the uh, branch of Equinox in Soho, just working out by myself while while my wife's family went off and did all the tourist stuff, which I'd already done before. Which yeah. actually I wasn't that unhappy about either. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> um, I know you, but that isn't yeah the kind of other things in life got in the yeah. way. But that was, but you know you you you're someone who obviously you completely adhered to the process. You're mentally strong. Mm-hmm. What about the people around you? Because obviously you know that that classic quote, and again mm-hmm. I think I've got it off a Tim mm-hmm. Ferriss podcast or mm-hmm. something. But it's you know you're the average of the five people you spend yeah. the most time with. Mm-hmm. So you know w- were they, were they positive? Because mm-hmm. obviously a lot of the time when I work with clients, the first thing they tell me is. I live with X person mm. and they eat terribly or mm. they'll make me do this or mm. every time I'm at the bar my work colleagues will point fingers mm. and I'm not very many, you know mm. I'm not very strong mm. so how is that because I know they, they wouldn't have tipped you out of balance because mm. you're very on it but then how did people react around you knowing mm. that you were doing that were they supportive 
Or were they a bit like, come on, <laughs> like, here you go, you don't need this? <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a very good point. And actually, I, I read a book recently um, called uh, Inside the Nudge Unit, which is um, by the guy who runs the uh, government's behavioural um, insight team, I think they're called. But yeah, they're all about using sort of psychology to, you know, affect people's behaviour. Um, and what they talk about, they have, um, is it an acronym or an initialism, uh, EAST. Uh, so basically, easy, um, accessible, sociable or social and timely and those are like the four factors that basically really affect whether you do something or not mm. and the social thing is, is absolutely huge so what was great about doing the challenge for us was that there were three of us doing it so straight away we, oh, yeah, we yeah. had an effect on each other we were all very competitive we could all see what each other was doing you know it was really like you know we'd all we were all on the same kind of bank of desks and you know one of you would come in and you know just been training and you'd be like all right, fella, you know, what have you been doing then in a session? And, you know, you'd, you'd say what you've been doing and then somebody would be getting out a plate of food and it would be, you know, this sort of the, like the meerkat, we kind of, the head, nice. head would yeah. be up like, oh, what you got there? You know, how many grams, how many grams of carbs you got? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's yeah. some sauce on the side there. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. we were very, we, you know, we, it very much um, improved our adherence because we could all see what each other was doing at any one time. We were all kind of spurring each other on. Um, and I think that's the thing for people to take away as well, isn't it? Yeah. When you try to do something like that, it might not be as specific as, as, as what you did, but then, you know, get, get the people around you on board or mm. if the people around you aren't on board, find people that are, mm. that you can interact with and it's mm. going to keep, you know, it's going to keep you on track. Mm. Well, the trainer actually, who I did the, the transformation with, Tim Walker, um, who runs uh, Evolve Training, um, they just oh, yeah, opened yeah, yeah. a new um, branch in Liverpool Street, actually, or near Liverpool Street. Maybe let's go. Yeah, we should go. They've got an opening party actually later this month if you fancy it. Yeah, um, yeah, I'll be off that and smash a session as well. We could. Um, I need to get some upper body uh, like integrity in there again because I've just been running around. And he's so a great guy. Um, he's a really good guy. There's a great Arnold Schwarzenegger impression, um, <laughs> which I found very helpful. Um, but uh, he, so he now actually a big part of their business is doing group transformations, and I think again mm. it's you know it's partly an economic thing. You get more people in the room, more yeah, people signed right. up, but also I I do think. You know, having other people there doing it involved with you, yeah, it's huge, a huge it? effect on uh, on uh, on your adherence. Um, could look into that because I've got yeah. I've got a run in October, but then mm. after that it's kind of um, a gap. So mm. yeah, maybe I maybe I kind of try some kind of transformation type thing after that. Yeah, you know what? I've actually gotten really into. Um, I always used to be really anti classes because I had a little bit of knowledge and I, I like to think I knew what I was talking about. I always found the idea of doing classes a bit naff. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. People who they were for people who didn't really. Know what they're doing with the noobs, people mm. who aren't that serious. But actually, I've gotten really into group personal training now. I go to a place called Fieldworks in East London, which is yeah, just down the road from where I live. And um, the guys there are really great. And actually, you know, the, the the class thing and having other people in the room really motivates me because I'm yeah. awfully competitive. Yeah, huge. That's <laughs> like, one of those things. Really badly. When you're busy <laughs> as well, you want to take away that decision fatigue. Yeah. And if you go somewhere where you know the program programming is nails, mm. then you know it's not just uh, throwing your money mm. away. It's what you you know you're, you're probably working harder or more accurately. Than you so much before. harder and so much more. Oh, 100%. Yeah, my best session is on a Tuesday night when mm. I when I help um yeah my you know my friend Ed and doing this Never Stop mm. London project. I I demo, but I do a lot of the class as well. Mm. And I you know Wednesday Thursday I'm dangling, mm. whereas when I'm bimbling around doing my own thing, I never mm. I never push it as much. Like mm. I put time on the feet, mm. but I don't achieve what I know I should. Mm. So mm. those sessions are absolutely fab. Well, that was one of the massive things that I took away from doing the transformation was just actually what I was capable of. And, you know, I'd been training myself for years. I, I, you know, I had a reasonable amount of knowledge. Mm. Um, mm. But actually, I, I realised just how much I was coasting. Mm. And actually, just having somebody there 
you know, the stuff that Tim got me to do wasn't revolutionary, but he got me no. to do it, you know, and it was a case of like, literally, you know, we'd be going to do some, you know, dumbbell rows and he'd be like, right, pick up that weight there. And I'd be like, you know, I can't do that one. And he's like, no, you're going to use that one. You know, I, I would want to go for the, the lower weight. And he'd be like, no, do that one. Yeah. And I'd be like, I can't do that. Yeah. And then I'd do it. And yeah. then afterwards I'd be like, oh, wow. Like I, if he hadn't been there telling me to do that, you I really never just... would have done it. Um, and actually it was a real, really opened my eyes to see kind of like, you know, what is possible and actually have the reserves that you have mm. um cool yeah very decent all right oh, we can do this for this is yeah this has been really good i think <laughs> let's 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 finish there for now and then hopefully we can have more conversations down the line and, and give people some more knowledge on this has been fab yeah where where can people find out about you or you know obviously i'll link to everything you've said today mm-hmm. but if people want to you know want to want to read more um uh, in terms of uh, you know what you do or, mm-hmm. or stuff mm-hmm. um let everyone know and then obviously we can go from there and i'll put everything in the show notes cool well yeah i mean men's health is, is you know an obvious main one pick up men's health um you know other places i write for people like mr porter fashion beans um but also you could just follow me on instagram uh at mr jamie miller because i tend to post when i you know when i do a new article I tend to post uh, something on there just to let people know um so yeah and that last name spelling mate you should probably clarify that. oh yeah it's it's uh, yeah <laughs> when people search yeah it's, it's mr jamie miller but it's miller spelled m-i-l-l-a-r-a-r not e-r strong <laughs> quality good all right well um yeah this is mate this has been a really really enjoyable podcast and uh, yeah it's good to get you in for food as well yeah no, thank awesome. you so um yeah yeah, as always, lovely people, you know, share this and, and give it to people that you think will like it and um, just continue to keep listening. I'm, I'm up over, you know, I'm, I'm getting around 100 listens an episode, which is absolutely mind-blowing. It's really, really fun, really fun. So, uh, and I think I'm coming up to maybe, you know, 1,500, 1,600 downloads, which is which is really nice. Great so, news, Yeah, exactly. So I'm just going to keep going um and uh yeah having more interesting conversations so i'm I'm really enjoying it and um yeah we'll speak to you guys soon